Do you want to hear what it takes to go from a newbie to a world champion? Or how about what to do if doubt sets in? Well, you stay tuned and maybe I'll let you in on a little confession of mine and tell you why we killed a hen together with today's guest. Welcome to the Athlete Story Podcast. Your chance to tap into wisdom from athletes and experts in world-class sports. You are about to be taken into a chat about sports careers and related issues between an awesome guest and your listening host. The Sports Insider, repurposed Olympic mogul skier, and former freeride world tour athlete, Anya Balbia. This is priceless insight about performance, personal challenges, strategy, finances, and of course, the tricky transition into life after sports. Listen in and enjoy these inspirational stories that are just too athlete-centered for mainstream media. Today's athlete story is from the martial arts space, and our guest is a winner of the World Games, a two-time European champion and a two-time world champion. This fighter is an excellent example of how you can have a late start and still become the champion if you have a solid base in sports and competition together with determination, the right support, and a certain humility to show up in the right places at the right times. Our guest is not short of determination, but had to learn how to listen in order to take it to the next level. And one more thing, of course, to not let that famous fear of failure put limits on what to go for, because this gladiator has gone for a lot. Do you want to know who it is? Let me introduce you to Jiu-Jitsu multi-class champion, super survivor, gladiator, and police officer, Nicole Subru from Denmark. You do not want to mess with this woman. I got you there. I know I did. You thought it was a man, didn't you? Anyways, let's call her up and have her tell her athlete story. Hi Nicole, welcome to Athlete Story. I'm so happy that you have the time to do this. You know you have a really special star in my heart for teaching me how to kill a hen when we were really, really hungry and there was no food to eat around. Let's let's take that story later. I would like to start with having you tell us what attracted you to the martial arts and the fighting in the first place. I've just turned 20, I think, and have always been a little wild of heart. And I was seeking new adventures. And at this point of my life, I had this crazy idea. I wanted to try and learn to fight like a stuntman, maybe get a new profession. <laughs> so I took contact to this uh, martial art club that I heard about and started to train there. I guess because I've always done the gymnastics before that, also always competition, it was really easy for me to do the uh, movements. I had control of my body, uh, I could coordinate, I was flexible. But of course, my physique wasn't that good at that point yet. I also had to learn uh, techniques and, and use them strategically. So there was a lot of work to be done, but I, I loved it. And my trainer asked me to go to a tournament and try to fight. And I, I said, yeah, well, why not? Uh, that wasn't what I wanted to use the sport for, but I went and... I, of course, lost my fight, but... What did you want to use the sport for? I actually believed I was going to be a stuntman. Learned to fight and do movies and all that cool stuff. But when I first uh, went to the competition and I tried to have uh, some few matches, I found out that I actually wanted to go all the way in the sports instead and try to win it all. So you were hooked on the actual fighting part. You have a coach with you all the time, like they will have in boxing, the ringman? Well, at this point, it was a club coach uh, in a little town in Denmark called Ishbia. Mm -hmm. 
where I started up. He was uh, with me on the mat. It wasn't until later that I actually had a coach that I got a certain contact with and uh, that helped me go all the way. But uh, because I got so hooked and I was seeking for new adventures, I contacted a world champion who lived in Paris and asked if I could go there and train in his club. He said, yeah, well, why don't I just come? So I went to Paris with no money on my pocket. I found a place to stay and I found some small jobs so I could earn some money and then I just wanted to train. If you want to be a champion, you've got to surround yourself with champions, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, you got to learn from the best. I was there, I think, six months or so. Then I got uh, an offer from back home that I could go to Copenhagen and be a training partner with the national teams for Judo and Jiu-Jitsu. And of course, I said yes to do that because they were training every day in the same center with a national coach. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yes, this is my chance. But of course, they didn't see me as anything else that a sparring partner and a throwing partner. Uh, and there was no expectations uh, for me at all. I was just a body to use. But I started there and I said to everyone, well, I want to be a world champion. And, <laughs> and they, they just laughed at me. But in time, I earned the respect because I really did put in the work. And the coach in time saw some possibilities in me. And it took some work, but well, we, we, we learned how to work together. I started to listen and do exactly what he said. We made a plan. And everything just worked out for me. And I got to be a world champion. So it could be done. What was the plan like? We needed to train some kick and punch, take some karate techniques and put into my style. Because the style is a combination of several different styles. You kick and punch, you throw, similar to judo. And then on the floor, you make a lot of groundwork, similar to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And we took the techniques from the different styles that it did me that I could make make work and put them together and then we just worked on those few techniques and make try to make them as perfect as possible and then we of course looked up at the opponents to find out how to make their techniques bad and make my techniques good you know so you adapt your strategy to each opponent. Yeah, exactly. There was especially one girl that I just couldn't win against her. And then there was this World Games in Japan in 2001. I got to the final and I was meeting her in the final and the strategic worked and I won. And oh. it was just, yeah, <laughs> that was just the best. Is that the, your greatest success? As I remember, yes. I was succeeding with every little detail of our plan. I had been working toward this competition, very focused, and making everything come together and succeed was just, yeah, beautiful feeling. Have you had any really bad moments or tough moments? Yes, I remember at one point, because of my result, I got funding. And also the organization, Jitsu and Judo combined, uh, got funding. So we had money to go out and participate in competition and training camps all over the world. The sport is very small in Denmark, so we needed to go abroad. But at some point, we didn't have enough results. And, you know, every year they look at every sport who's getting the money. We was told we needed more results. So I got chosen together with a training partner, a guy that we had to go out and make results in judo. At that time, I was training with the national team of judo as well. So we had 
I, I think it was four or five competitions in a row. Every weekend we had to go away. And every time when I had to go into weight, I, I actually needed to spend uh, up to one week to eat myself down. And I had to do it properly. So I still had the energy to use on the mat. But to do that every week to stay down in weight was really hard for me. That took away, I think, focus and moral. And in the end, I focused more just to stay in my weight than to actually focus on the match that I had to win to get the funding. So that was really tough. And looking back, I, of course, regret that I said yes, because it was no good for me. But I did it to try to help the sport and all my training friends. But the plan was not good and it didn't work. We should just have stuck with one or two competition and just... but. And you learn, as you say. Is this where you say, okay, I've had enough, I'm out of here? Well, actually, it took away a lot of my, uh, you know, when you do something that just makes you happy inside, that's why you actually want to spend all that time doing it. And when that feeling just is not there anymore, I think that was the beginning of the end of my career. If you're not an athlete and you're watching this and you say, well, I go to work every day, but I'd say a big difference here is that you well, you don't get paid, you don't get famous. Like you're a two-time world champion, two-time European champion, right? And you've won the World Games. And I don't think a lot of people know your name, know what you, you've been doing. So this is like a pure passion sport, right? 100% pure passion, yes. I found something that I was really good at. I found something that where I could represent my country. I found something where I could get on the top of the world and it just made me kind of high. I thrived with it. I lived in a subculture where I had very good friends. I got to travel all over the world. It was a very good time. So all of that put together. And actually, yeah, I won the World Games, the World Championship, the European Championship in, in, in the category of 70. But because, again... They told me it was easy in 70s because there was not that many competitors. I said to myself, no way, I'm not going to take that. And then I worked to go down to the 62 category. And then I won all the championships there as well. You know, when you know that you're good at something and you have this drive, you don't want to hear people tell you they're not good enough. I was good enough and I was doing them. So that was also a big part of my drive, of course. So from the time you you turn up in this new club where you're just going to be a body that the other people can throw around and hit and kick, you say, I want to become a world champion. And you really believe this, right? You That's what you want to do. What factor do you think it was the most important for you to actually achieve that? I was a very independent young woman at that time. I knew what I wanted to do. But of course, I didn't know how to do it. I needed to listen, learn to listen and do what I was told. And it took some time. There was a little conflict, but I learned to listen to my coach, the national coach. And we actually got to work very good together. When he saw some potential in me, we together found a way to make me become world champion. There has to be a lot of, of, of trust toward the, what what he's saying is what you actually need to do and not what you think you need to do. Exactly. He knew best. Of course he did. I was new in the game. 
he has been there forever. And of course, also, I couldn't have done it without all the training friends that I had uh, because they also became buddies to me that I could throw around with, uh, that I could kick a punch with. So we were helping each other. We do not work together as a team, but as individuals. But individuals can only go all the way if they have a team around them to help them. And that is how it is. That's how you get feedback and, and, and know where you are. Exactly. When you're talking about being really, really good at something, wanting to take it all the way and even show all your skills. How did that work for you when you retired and then you had to, you know, started something new where you didn't have all these skills? It took some time to figure out. I, I kind of lost my identity. I moved away from everything uh, to another time and I lost contact with the clubs where I was training because it was too far to go. And I had to, how do you say, redefine myself, refine myself mm -hmm. to find something else that I was good at something that identified me as a person and I had been using the sport for doing that for so long time I was fumbling around and it was hard but then in the end I found all this mental work I had been doing with my sport I found a way to use that in my private life and get another focus find a job that I actually like and thrive in doing so you're a police officer now right I am a police officer now yes Back then when I applied for being a police officer, there was an age limit at 30 and I was 29. A month later, I turned 30. <laughs> I just managed to send in my application before the age limit ran out. And I, I was told that I had one chance, one shot. And if you don't make the test, you do not get to be a police officer. So, of course, I did all I could. I found out what the test contained and then I prepared the best I could so that my lower star was good enough still to pass the tests. So I succeeded and I've been a police officer ever since and I'm very happy with that. I can still find new goals within being a police officer. I need to be challenged in everything that I do. What also makes me feel that I'm good at what I'm doing as a police officer is that I can take a lot of the things that I have been doing with my sports where I know and know to defend myself. I know how to handle myself if I should get into a conflict that could be physical. As you have that attitude, they get insecure because they know you're calm and they feel the confidence and then that makes them insecure. And I guess that feeling makes them just calm down and we can talk instead of getting physical. And in the police, do you actually have time to, to keep up with the training or is that something you have to do on the side? Well, it's something I have to do at the side. And of course, the time for yourself isn't that much anymore. But I try to hang in there, stay in shape also for myself. It's a good feeling. After actually officially ending your career, I know you went back and did some MMA fighting because I went to watch one of your fights. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, I did that. The first one is not the one that I remember the best, but the one that I actually am proud of, even though I didn't win. But I did my best. I was in good shape and I had been working on techniques. But in the end, she was more experienced and better than me. And that's why she won. After that, I also did another match where I did it to help again, because otherwise there would not be a match. So I just jumped in from the side. I had not prepared myself well, and I did not have a coach at the side that I could trust and that I had been working with for years. So that was not a good experience. And that is one of the things that I can take with myself. If you are not prepared, never go into a match. Because if you are mentally not ready, you will lose yeah. 100%.
I can imagine that doubt would probably be your worst enemy. Yeah, absolutely. So what can you do as a fighter if if you have that little bit of doubt somewhere? Like you said, you had had that opponent that you had never beaten before. And you- I found a way back then. If if I had any doubt, if I could do this, I could think about all the work that I put in. I knew I did all that I should and could do to be physical ready, to be mentally ready. I knew what I was supposed to do to beat her. I had a plan. If I just could fight free, enjoy and stick to the plan, there was a good chance that I could win. So remembering that feeling to every match is what I could always take forward whenever I had another challenge. I did that, I remember, in my first MMA match. But the second I had, I knew I had not put the work in. I did not have my coach at the sideline. And that was too much insecurity and hard to be. But still, I, I tried to focus on that I could do good with what I had, even though my physique wasn't on top. But what I experienced was that I was standing there in the fight and my body just took forward what it remembered my body doing best. The techniques that I was feeling secure with. I did not go out of my safety zones to do new techniques to change the game. Does that mean defensive and more fighting the fight on her terms? Exactly. Instead of just believing in it, being free to try new things, just to see if it works. You're focused on, oh no, I'm going to lose this. And then you go... Safety zone. That's how the body works. That's how it works. (laughs) Okay, so we talked about how there's not much glamour and prestige, maybe, in career in jiu-jitsu and and judo. But I know you've been a gladiator. Yeah, I've always been a fan of the show since I was a little kid. And then it arrived to Denmark and they were seeking competitors. So I sent in an application and I had this cool picture of me in a, a jiu-jitsu gi with my black belt, trying to look very cool, telling about my results. So they thought I had a very interesting profile and they invited me actually to come in and be tested if I could be one of the gladiators in the show instead. Woohoo! So <laughs> first I attended and I did all my best and I became one of the gladiators. I was the gladiator cobra. Really a cool experience. And is it is there a real competition or is it more like show? How, how does it work? It is a really competition. Of course, there are the uh, participants had to go through. Yeah, it had to go through different challenges? Different challenges, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And we as gladiators should do whatever we could not to make them succeed. So we did. One I loved the most was the pyramid. If I don't know if you remember that one. No. <laughs> jump over the competitors and just roll them down and get up again. That was the best one. Yeah, I loved it. That was really fun. Unfortunately, there was only one season in Denmark. Yeah, and they stopped again. And you didn't think about going international? You had the profile for that. But I was not done with my sport yet at that Um, time. If I had been, I could have thought about doing that. It's very big in Sweden, for example. Maybe I could have become a gladiator in Sweden. Well, there's a new project for you. Granny gladiator. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's time to tell the story about the hen. Okay, so we were on this island as part of a game show. In Danish, it's called Robinson. And it's what's the Survivor show all over. We hadn't had food for the longest time. And here comes Nicole back to the island with 
was it three hens? Three, yeah. And uh, I could give the hens to the other team and make myself safe so I could not get voted out again. Or I could keep them on our team and use them as I wanted to and we could get food. So I, of course, chose the last one and they were alive. So we had to slaughter them. That's a big word. Nobody wanted to do it. Well, you were, you were cool with it because you've been doing this like as a kid and stuff. Yeah. I remember when I visited my grandma, we always sat there plucking feathers of all kinds of hens and whatever. And it was not that big a thing. I mean, to eat the head, we had to chop the head off. But you did. <laughs> a pretty did. good. Uh, it took some mental preparation. We had to one time instead of ten. Okay. But you, you managed very well. That's a, that's a memory that stays clear in my mind. <laughs> the game show was put the way that we were only athletes and on one team it was all team sport athletes and one individual and on the other team or island was all individual and one team sport athlete. We didn't get nasty, I think. No, we just didn't want to go there. But the to chase the game several times to make us frustrated. <laughs> and that worked, that worked. So the the thing is, uh, you get to this place and you think, okay, this is the games, these are the rules, and here's how we're playing. But what you realize once you're there is they can change the rules whenever they want. <laughs> and as a as an athlete, I guess that's frustrating because we just used to have rules and the rules uh, what defines the game. But I thought it was an interesting experience to discover how do you react to that? Because is it fair? Is it not fair? That's not even the question. The question is, how do you react when you can't count on anything? Yeah. And I, I learned a lot about myself in, in that situation. I know oh, about yeah. you. Well, uh, the one thing that I remember the most is the one big, very important competition that we had to win to keep you and I safe. We had to fish. And I just pulled in all the fish. And I said, yes, I'm winning this. And in the last second, my opponent, he took in the last fish, so we just had equal and they were also equal in weight. So what do we do now? Hmm, let's see. Yeah, we take a lobster and then we had to say how much we think it was weighing. And the one that came closest would win. I didn't want to say anything first, but the opponent didn't either. But in the end, I was so stupid, I said something. You had a pretty good idea of how much it weighed. I had a very good idea how much that one was weighing. <laughs> and after I found out that he did not. So I said, I think it was 2.5 kilos, I said. And then he was very clever. He said, well, then I say 2.4. And the thing was weighing 2.3 kilos. And he told me afterwards, if you had said nothing, I would have said 5 kilos. <laughs> <sighs> And I got so frustrated. I remember I, I, I was feeling it was so unfair. But what they were focusing on was my reaction to this. I really reacted very, very much. And I was so angry. And I thought it was so unfair. And that could have saved me and you for the next <laughs> challenge. And uh, oh, I lost myself at that point. Are you a bad loser? Oh, I hate to lose. I hate to lose. But I've learned that you cannot win them all and it's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from them. So I think if I should be in this position again, I will say nothing until they break my arm and I have to say something. <laughs> okay, this this makes me want to confess. Okay, should I tell them? We actually did this interview yesterday <laughs> and I didn't record it. <laughs> 
I don't know what happened. I don't know. I can blame it on technology. Maybe it was my own distraction. Anyways, we had to redo the whole thing today. But I can promise you one thing. It's not going to happen again. Exactly. We learn. I mean, it's okay to make mistakes. If we are afraid of making mistakes as individuals, that will limit ourselves and our possibility of, of developing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm working very much with that and I feel I'm more relaxed about it. So what is your next project then? My next project is a new education within the police, how to lead and be in front of a, of a group within mm -hmm. the police. It's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I wish you all the best luck. I'm really happy you accepted my invitation to do this. I'm that you wanted me on this series. Very exciting stories that you have. Thank you, Nicole. Absolutely. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. If you have any fellow athletes or people who you think could benefit from listening to this, of course, I'd be very grateful if you'd share this podcast with them. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Athlete Story. You are awesome. If you are yourself a world-class athlete or former, don't hesitate to come over on athletestory.com and check out more free stuff and resources to help you thrive in and benefit from your sports career. Dare to prepare. Then get yourself out there. Stay in touch.